We're in the book of Acts. We are actually, believe it or not, in the last chapter of Acts. Uh, we started this back in, remember 2019? Oh, that was such a good year. <laughs> back in February of 2019, we started this and, uh, and we've made it to the last chapter. We're going to have a, oh, hi, sweetie. We're going to have a couple of sermons in 28 because I'm splitting it up. So um, Paul has been kind of continuing his journey to Rome, and uh, it hasn't gone according to plan. As, as you might remember, the, the ship kind of got lost at sea. A uh, ship ended up wrecking and, and completely coming apart. But uh, God promised that everybody on board, all 270, would make it to shore. And guess what happened? Yeah. All 270 made it alive to shore. Now, I mean, you just think about um, this was supposed to be a few weeks and it turned into four months. I've never been on a ship in the ocean, but four months on the ocean doing this kind of thing. I don't do well in the back, especially like if Terry's driving. I don't do well in the back of a car. If you ever drive a Terry in the back of a car, just take drama mean beforehand because you'll need to. Uh, sorry, but he knows. <laughs> But I can't imagine, as I've heard of people like getting off of a, a ship uh, and kissing the ground, like when they get back to land. And this is what I imagine they all did, just that they just hugged the ground and, and were very thankful to be there. You know, in some ways, we've been on shaky ground for a while now, it feels like. And, and getting back onto firm ground is something I really look forward to. If we do, I don't know how that's going to work exactly. But firm ground is, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty nice. So Acts 28 verse 1 says this. After we were brought safely through, that's the storm, we then learned that the island was called Malta. So they've been lost at sea for a while. They don't know where they've landed. So when they get to shore, they're like, where, you know, guys don't normally ask for directions. You know how that goes. They ask, where are we? And the answer is Malta. Malta is a little uh, island or archipelago, if you're one of those people, because there's more than, there's a little grouping there that's kind of between Sicily which is at the, you know, you've got the Italian boot and then Sicily, and then you've got the North, North African coast. It's kind of between there, closer to Sicily, though. Verse 2 says, The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they had kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. That, that word translated native there is actually barbaros in the Greek, which, where we get our word barbarian. But that, that doesn't mean that they were you know, savages, I think it just means they were non-Greek speaking, maybe a little less cultured than, you know, people of Rome type of thing. But, but it says that they showed us unusual kindness. And I'm just picturing, you know, you're sitting on your own little private Mediterranean island, you know, and you're in your gravity chair enjoying a little umbrella drink. And then you see this, you know, group of miscreants, 270 sailors, uh, soldiers, and convicts just all of a sudden come on to my nice little beach. And I'm thinking, would I show them kindness or would I be like, ah, great, thanks. I don't like drop-ins, you know. I'm, not, I'm one of those people that's always, like, the kids knew if somebody rang the doorbell when they were young, that just like, be quiet, everybody stay motionless until we figure out what's going on. So this is kind of like a, a big deal. But, but these guys, um, you know, they show unusual kindness. And, and I love that phrasing. I don't know what that means if it was because they didn't expect much kindness from these barbarians or because of the great amount of kindness they showed. But what I've seen today is that kindness itself has become unusual in our day. And, and it's neat to see how God just showed them favor by, by kind of letting this work out so well the way that it did. We've already seen this kind of unusual kindness from God for Paul. 
The first one was the centurion named Julius that he would, that it was assigned to Paul. He just continually kind of was nice to Paul, gracious to him, let him go see his friends, gave him extra leeway. Uh, and that's, that's kind of like the favor of God. We're going to see it again with a guy named Publius, who, who is one of the chief guys of the island, who again just shows Paul amazing kindness. And I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes God just gives us favor with people. And it's so good of him. I think of like Egypt, uh, Joseph in Egypt. Remember how it, no matter where he went, no matter what he did, I mean, he got into some really bad predicaments, but he would always find favor with the person. He would work hard, he would be trustworthy, and he would always find favor. And that's a good thing to pray for even, that we would find favor in our community, find favor with other people. This is what we see happening here. And I'm also just amazed at like the human spirit because we often see the worst in people and we tend to dwell on that. Um, but every once in a while, you kind of get a glimpse of the image of God that is imprinted on, on all people and, and you see kindness emerge. And it, it often comes at times like this where you have a human tragedy like a shipwreck or maybe forest fires. You know, just recently in our own community, we had people band together from the church and from outside of the church and uh, gather up a, well, there's Ron right there, gather up a truck and trailer full of so much stuff. It was like busting at the gills and driving it into a town where people didn't have anything and showing unusual kindness. And it's so inspiring and such a good thing to see nowadays. And this is kind of what we see happening here. The people of Malta see these exhausted men, cold, tired, and immediately made a fire to get them warm. Now, verse 3 says that Paul decided to help out. Exhausted as he was, he decided to help out by getting some wood. Verse 3 says, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. That's never good. Um, first off, I'll just say there's something really cool about seeing the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's out gathering wood to put on the fire. Uh, a servant is never, you know, there's nothing that should be beneath a servant of God. And that goes for all of us. And I hope that that's something we aspire to that as pastors. We want to be the chief servants here. We want to make sure that we don't, you know, he could have been, Paul could have been like, you know who I am? You have any idea who I am? You know, go get the wood people. You know, that's not what you see him doing. He's just jumping right in. But of course he does get bit by a snake. There's no parallel in that. I'm not trying to go there, but, but that's the second thing that when I, when I see this, I think like if this were me, and my wife could attest to this if she was here today, if a poisonous snake would have lunged out and latched onto my hand, a first, I would have screamed a not-so-manly scream, um, and panic would have ensued. And, and I don't like things like this at all. I've never been that kind of kid that always wanted to hold the, the you know, I just don't. I don't know why, but no, uh, not at all. And the second thing I would have done, at the, if I were Paul right now, is I would have looked up to the heavens, and I would have just screamed, like, come on. Are you serious right now? And my wife gets mad when I say, come on, but I say it a lot. I'll say it in the kitchen when like something won't open up. Come on. But I mean, just think about everything Paul just went through. He finally makes it to shore. And this is like one of the first thing that happens. I just be like, are you kidding me right now? But you don't, but Paul doesn't do either of these things. He doesn't do, and we'll see that in a minute. Now the people of Malta are very curious to see what's going to happen next. So um, they do something though. They make the same mistake that a lot of people make today when something bad happens to somebody. And we read that in verse four. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now justice may be capitalized in, in your Bible. And that's because they personified this idea of justice. That was actually a, a goddess. It was one of Zeus's daughters. Maybe you've seen the, the picture like of a young woman with a laurel wreath and holding the, the scales. 
that's justice. And, and it's actually the, the, the goddess name was, it's D-I-K-E, it's D-K. They believed that she was responsible for like ret retributive, retributive, you guys figured out, retributive. I'm going with retributive justice, kind of, kind of the idea of karma, right? Um, if you're not familiar with the concept of karma, it's, you know, yeah, my name is Earl, was like, that was the whole show, was that, you know, if I do good things, good things will happen to me. If I do bad things, bad things will happen to me. And there is some truth to that. But here's the problem with the idea of karma. None of us is good as we think we, you know, none of us is as good as we think we are. We, we tend to think we're pretty good, so good things should be happening to us. But biblically speaking, based on the way we've tra uh, uh, treated our creator and treated other people, not a lot of good things are probably going to be happening to us. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, continually just shows us kindness that we don't deserve. And so I'm glad karma doesn't exist. I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. And I'm glad that God, for whatever reason, chooses to show a common grace to all of his creation, even still. I love the way Thomas Watson put it. He said, every time you breathe in, you suck in mercy. <laughs> And that's kind of a neat way to think of it. Every breath you take, sorry if that got a song stuck in your head, you get mercy. Terrible. The other thing that we have a problem with as far as karma goes is that sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people. I don't know if you've noticed that, but that means karma is broken. It doesn't really work. You'll see somebody that has lived a really good life, been kind to people, and they get cancer. And you'll see somebody that's a jerk that live selfishly, it doesn't, you know, and they, they live to be 100. It doesn't, karma doesn't always end up working properly. So these guys kind of just assumed that, you know, Paul got bit by a snake, they assumed that he was guilty before God, and, and that, you know, that this is why it happened. Well, the truth is, Paul was guilty before God, right? He was super guilty before God. Think about what Paul lived like before he became, you know, a follower of Jesus. And even after, he still called himself the chief of sinners. So did Paul deserve to be struck down? Yeah, just the same as ever the rest of us do, but this particular thing they were they were way off on. Their assumption was like Justice tried to get him while he was in the sea, you know, but he slipped he slipped through the crack somehow, but now she's caught up with him on the beach and and like so the, the jig is up. Now she's finally going to get him. So they're all sitting there on the edge of their seat kind of like waiting to see what happens next to Paul, right? That kind of wait for it. They assume he's going to swell up and fall over. I was picturing like Bassini, uh, you know, after he ate and drank Iocane powder, just, you know, just poof. Th that's what they're waiting to see. But that's not what happens. And, and I love here, Paul, you don't see screaming. You don't see him cursing the heavens or questioning why. He seems completely unfazed by this creature hanging from his hand. It's almost like he looks down and sees a leaf on him, you know. Oh, I mean, no big deal. It's like, oh, that's just a super deadly snake, you know. And he shakes it off into the fire which is where I think all snakes should go, by the way. I don't, I don't, want, to go, I don't want to go too far with this passage, but I think we have a biblical precedent. So Luke, if you're watching, I'm sorry. Verse 5 says this, He, however, shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, He was a god. That's the next logical conclusion, right? You know, oh, you're a murderer. No, wait, we got it wrong. You're a god. Like, you know, those are the options. <laughs> it just reminds me of how the tide of popular opinion can change so rapidly. 
And we see this right now in our, in our cancel culture, which is just crazy. You can go from like a hero to a zero in a minute. And, and there's, it's, it's, it's very strange. But you see this happening here with Paul. Now, in truth, these guys kind of understand the way things work, right? When people get bit by snakes that are poisonous, they die. So that's not what's happening. So they, they, they surmise, well, this guy's impervious to poisonous snakes. Therefore, he must be some kind of a mythical superhero. And they weren't completely off base because even though Paul was not a god, he was empowered by the one true God. And, and that's what they're seeing. They are seeing the power of God. They're just, they're just kind of placing it in the wrong, with the wrong person. And that's just a reminder that we should never, ever, ever elevate people. Anything good you see, anything amazing you see, anything praiseworthy you see in a person should terminate with God. It, it, it should bounce up to him, reflect on him. He's the one that made it. So when you hear somebody singing beautifully, well, guess who made that person? Guess who? That's God. When you see somebody paint a picture, and it doesn't matter if they're a Christian or a non-Christian, which I actually love. Even a non-Christian will do something that absolutely glorifies their creator, even though they don't want it to and maybe don't intend it to. That's what happens. And I think that's cool. So verse seven goes on to tell us that now in the neighborhood of that place, Malta, where uh, there were these lands that belonged to a chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. You see more kindness. Verse 8 says, It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him and healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And this is cool because, you know, this is like old school Paul. This is what Paul used to do on the daily, right? And it's been two and a half years. He's been under house arrest and he's been on the ship. He hasn't been, you know, doing this kind of thing for a while. So this must have been pretty cool for Paul, I would think. It's like, okay, we're back in business. You know, he set up shop. Now, the one thing that is important to point out is that even though Luke doesn't tell us this um, explicitly, you can assume Paul is preaching the gospel during this time. Uh, it doesn't say it, but he's been there three months. Do you think the apostle, the apostle Paul could go three months without bringing up Christ crucified? not a chance. And so you know that when they said, oh, you're a God, he, he would have corrected that. He would have explained, you know, you know that he's preaching the gospel. And so you think about all the conversations and all the conversions that would have happened during this time would have been really cool. And the, and the other neat thing is that everywhere else where Paul would go and preach like this, they would generally run him out of town. You know, they would get angry and send him off. That's not what happens here. Here you see this wonderful, generous spirit that they had for Paul and they even send them off well when it's time to depart. Verse 10 says, They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put us on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. One day after that, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to, I'm going to go with Putioli. That sounds Italian, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there we found brothers and were invited to stay with him for seven days. And so we came to Rome. So they, they leave Malta in probably February or March. Uh, they sail up to Sicily. And then like at the end of the boot, between the boot and Sicily, there's a little channel. They go up through that channel. And then they go up to kind of, they land kind of where Naples is. They're still about 130 miles um, from Rome on foot. But Luke says, you know, we've arrived in Rome because I think they've, you know, they've made it. They've made it to their destination, even though they still have a little bit of walking to do. But the, even the cool thing about this is that, remember, Paul wrote a letter to the Romans a few years before this, and the people uh, read it and knew of Paul, and they, they hear about his coming. And so what do they do? 
they start trekking, the, you know, from Rome to come out to meet Paul. So Paul's coming up this way. They're coming down this way to meet him. And this is the kind of thing you would do for, for kings or princes. And, and now you have Paul, you know, can you imagine you're walking along and then all of a sudden you just see these brothers in Christ coming towards you? You know, in some way, it's that idea that God is letting Paul know all of this mattered, Paul. All of this mattered so greatly because I'm, I'm, there's times if you've been in ministry of any kind, you start to believe that it's all for nothing. You know, does anybody even notice what's going on? Is anybody, is this, does this have any effect at all? And, and the Bible would tell us, do not grow weary in doing good. For at the due time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. And Paul is starting to see this harvest. He's been wanting to get to Rome for so long. And now to see these brothers coming out 30, 40 miles from Rome to meet him and then just to walk back with him had to have been so encouraging, so affirming to him, and so kind that God would do this for him. So verse 15 says, And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul has made it to Rome. God's promise has been fulfilled. Um, Seeing these Christian brothers caused Paul to, it says, thank God and to take courage. I love that picture. So next week, we're going to finish out the book, but I want to just kind of hit some takeaways this morning of of things we can um, pull out of the passage. There's three things I'm going to talk about. The first one is shaking off vipers. The second one is to take courage from other believers. And the last one is that our future is in God's hands. (laughs) It's my granddaughter, ladies and gentlemen, so... Hi, Willa. Okay. The first one, shake off vipers. Um, In case you didn't pick up on it already, I am not a big fan of snakes, of getting bitten by snakes, or of being poisoned by snakes. All of those things are some of my least favorite things in the world. And this would have caused me a lot of anxiety. But Paul just seems to kind of roll with it. I mean, how? (laughs) How do you just roll with this? And the words of the hymn writer came to my mind as I was thinking about this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Paul believed that. He knew that. We need to be reminded of this truth, because in case you haven't noticed, this has been kind of a rough patch. You know, the last seven or eight months... Um, have been difficult, and in some ways it doesn't look like it's slowing down any. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of those memes. They crack me up. There's like, you know, if 2020 were a slide, and it shows like a kid going down a cheese grater. (laughs) There's one that's a a hula hoop, and it's just made out of barbed wire, and then there's like a pinata that's just a beehive. And that's kind of what it feels like sometimes. That's like, this is what it's like. But I want you to remember that Paul has been dealing with this, this kind of turmoil and chaos for several years now. I mean, this hasn't been just a few months. This has been a long, long time. And through all of the difficulties Paul has faced, his hope in God has remained. He's, he's been steadfast. And that means we can be too. He's not wavered from following Christ. And ultimately, this speaks of God's grace toward us as his people. And it speaks of God's faithfulness to his promises. Because God said, if I began a good work in you, I'm going to complete it. It's it's something he does. Do you believe that God is going to see us through? I mean, you can say that, but functionally, do you you live as though you believe that God is going to see us through this time? 
I do. You know, there's a peace that, that, that the Bible talks about that passes understanding. That means it's like a peace that just doesn't make sense. And I've seen that in believers that are going through unimaginable things. It doesn't make any sense that they're e- even able to get out of bed. And yet they, they, they have a peace that passes understanding. They have this strength that makes no sense. And I can't tell you how many times we've gone through things that we didn't think we were going to be able to bear only to, to find God's grace and peace in the midst of us. It's sustaining us, you know. And, and then on the other side of it, we also saw God's goodness in it. And that's the way things need, need, need to be thought of. Chances are this week, you're going to be bitten by a viper. <laughs> now, that's not like a prophetic utterance. I'm not, I don't have that gift. I know if pe- people are looking around their chairs. I mean, you know, metaphorically speaking, something's going to jump out and surprise you that you're not ready for. I mean, think about the things last week that happened that you weren't prepared for that surprised you. And this week, there's no doubt something's going to happen. You're, we're going to find out about, a, a, you know, a new statistic about COVID that's going to go, oh, what, what do we do now? You're going to hear about, you know, a, a, a stinking presidential poll that's going to be like, oh, no, that doesn't look good for what I'm hoping for. You're going to find out that the schools aren't going to be open for another week or two weeks or, or whatever. You're going to hear, that, okay, there you go. Is that like an amen? You're going to, uh, you're going to hear another stat about the church that's going to freak the pastor out, you know? <laughs> it just does. It's like, oh, another one, great, you know? Let's uh, keep them coming. Um, you're going to hear about a friend or a family member that's going through a difficult time, and it's going to rock your world. Those are the kinds of things that we, you know, those are the kinds of hits that, that come up. How will you respond? Will your faith crumble? Will you, will you get angry? Come on, Lord! You know, will you do that? Will you just become crippled with fear and paralyzed? They are going to come. They always come. Until Christ returns, it's going to happen. Or will you just kind of shake it off? No, it's just that again. Into the fire and walk away from it, trusting in the God who's been faithful to you over and over and over. There's, there's another good song. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. That's what we need. And I just want to remind you guys this. God sent his son to the cross to die so that you could live. Is there anything he won't do for you? (laughs) I mean, do you ever just think about that? If he was willing to do that, the most precious thing he had, he he let him go to the cross and be crushed for you. Is there something he's going to say, ah, nah, that's enough. I I don't, you know, I mean, there's nothing he won't do for us. Do you think he's going to forsake us or forget about us now? He will not. So we need to learn to shake off the vipers because not only is it good for us in our own personal walk with God, but imagine the testimony that this affords to the people that are watching. Think about the people of Malta that saw this in Paul. They watch this happen and they're just like, what? It gives us these opportunities to display the power of God. When somebody sees that, they're going to see the power of God. When you react to being, you know, getting bit by something and just brushing it off like it's nothing, they're going to see a strength, right? 
It's going to display this hope we have no matter what comes our way. They're going to see a satisfaction that doesn't make sense. Why are they satisfied right now? Why do they have strength? Why are they satisfied? And they're also going to see a salvation. They're going to see something that's going to point them to the one who can save us from anything and hopefully believe on him. So not only is it good for us to just shake these things off when they come, but it's good for the people that are watching us as well. So the next thing we see Paul do in this is he took courage from other believers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Over and over again in the Bible, you see the impact that being with other believers has on a Christian. Uh, we see it in our passage today when Paul took courage from them. Like Paul didn't have much at that point, maybe, and, and he was able to get some from them. And I'll tell you what, I know that those guys received courage from Paul as well. When they saw the Apostle Paul coming up the road, that he filled them with courage as well. Guess what? If Paul needed other believers in his life and needed to be able to take courage, what does that mean for you? <laughs> what does that mean for me? We need it too. And we've been in a period of time where Christian fellowship has been difficult. Uh, many of you haven't been back to church. Everybody has reasons. I know every time we say this, people think he's talking to me, he's targeting me. I'm not. I, I, I'm saying this out of love and concern. Some people just can't be here right now. I understand that. Um, some people are, have family members who they can't, you know, you know, they work a job where they can't. I understand that there's things like this, but, but many people haven't been back to church at all, or they've come back kind of sparsely. And, and I just want to remind you guys of how important it is that we are together as, as believers. Do you remember what it was like when you had a boyfriend or girlfriend that you were just head over heels with? What would keep you from seeing them and being with them? <laughs> nothing, literally nothing. You would, you know, you would skip anything to go to be with that person. And, and, and I, I wish we would think of the church this way as well. We're about to move back inside. That means we're going to have some inconveniences. That means that Masks are going to have to go on, and, and I, none of us like this, you know. I mean, it's just one of those things that, but don't let that pull you away. I'm pleading, don't let that pull you away. Come and worship the Lord even still, and pray that it goes away soon. I mean, it would be great if it, if it could, but it would be great if we didn't have to, right? But that's part of the deal right now. Being separated from other believers will take a toll on you. And I, I can say this from experience. You know, the, the Bible describes us as a body. And I don't mean to be gross, but if, if I were to take up my pinky and pull it off and set it over here, what would happen to that thing? It would wither, it would decay, it would rot. That's what happens when you separate from the body. I can speak from experience, like I said, because I know that when this happens, it'll, it'll affect at least three things. And there's been times when I couldn't be in church, and there have been times when I didn't want to be in church. And I watched all these things happen. It affects your character. It affects your compass, and it affects your courage. All three of those things. It affects your character because it's, it's a whole lot easier to follow Christ when you're with people who are also following Christ. Makes all the difference in the world. When we get further from the church and closer to the world, the influence and effect will be obvious. The people we spend time with and the things we fill our heads and our hearts with will impact the things we do and say. And, and there's no mistake, when I'm away from fellowship and away from the church, stuff starts coming out of me that's surprising. It's like, where is that coming from? How did that get there? Well, this is how it gets there. I need to be around people who are following Christ, pursuing him, and living according to his word. 
It affects your compass because when we get further from the church and closer to the world, truth becomes much harder to discern. It does. It's just a matter of time before you begin to compromise. It's just a matter of time before the truth of God's word starts to sound old-fashioned, antiquated. Is that, did God really say? You know, that's the kind of stuff that starts happening. I need to be around people who can continually point me to true north and remind me of the truth of God's word. And it affects your courage because the further we get away from the church and the closer we get to the world, the harder it gets to associate yourself with Jesus and his people and the harder it will be to hold to your confession. I need to surround myself with people who are not ashamed to name the name of Christ and who are courageous to tell others about him. Jesus has given us one another to help us through this journey. Being together matters. The enemy, I believe, wants to see you separated and isolated from the pack. He, he wants to devour you. And if you're away on your own, it's easy for him to do. Don't let him. Listen to these words from the book of James. James chapter 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, are you double-minded about whether or not you need to be in church, being around God's people, it doesn't work. If you're in, be in. Because it not only matters to you, but it matters to all of us. When we don't see people here, it, it matters to us. We need each other. We take courage from each other. All right, then lastly, for those of us who are in Christ, uh, it's the truth that our future is in God's hands. Throughout everything Paul went through, he had this calm assurance that, that God held his future and that he was secure and that he was going to get where he was supposed to go, right? <clears throat> when he was bitten by a snake, I kind of picture him like looking around, you know, the snake's just hanging from his hand and he's looking around going, are, are we in Rome right now? Is this Rome? No? Malta? Oh, then no big deal. Because God said I was going to go to Rome and this ain't Rome, so whatever. You know, whatevs. You know, <laughs> you, you don't, he didn't worry about it because it was, he knew that wasn't God's will. Paul's history had already been written. His expiration date was predetermined. It's kind of a crass way to look at it, but you know, when, when they make a jug of milk, they stamp the thing with an expiration date. And, and, and it's, it's right. It's kind of like, you know, you, they usually aren't off at all. It's like, yep, that's right. Paul was stamped with an expiration date and, and he trusted God with it. You know, Job confirms this. In, in Job 14.5, Job confirms this about all who are born. He says, his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Right? That means that God has stamped you with an expiration date, and nothing can touch you until that date hits. That's kind of cool. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that we start, like, playing Frogger in the freeway. You know, it doesn't mean you just go out and live, will, you know, crazy, you know, because he knows the date. You don't. <laughs> the date could be, yeah, that date you went out on the freeway and played in the traffic. That's not what we're talking about. It just means that when a viper hits or when a virus hits or when whatever hits, you know that you don't have to fear. You can be comforted to know that your heavenly father who is good and who knows what is best has appointed a time that is right for each of us. And that frees us up to make the most of the time that we have and not sweat the small stuff. So our future is in God's hands. So those are the big takeaways for today. Uh, you're welcome for the entertainment of my... <laughs> I'm going to pray before it all, it all goes, yeah. <laughs>
All right, Father, we're grateful for the fact that our future is in your hands, that, that Lord, you have secured us, you have purchased us by the precious blood of Christ. Uh, that just tells us everything we need to know about who you are and how important we are to you, that you would send your son to be crushed on our behalf. Blows our minds, Lord. So thank you so much for Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you for the future that you have planned for us. Uh, thank you, Father, for, for all the good things you do for us on a daily basis. And thank you that we don't have to live in fear, but we can live by faith, trust in you with our future, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.